0: And the title for today's message, which I debated very thoroughly, was emotional pornography. Now I'm I've been uh, very cautious in my studies not to make this such a heavy message <laughs> that when you walk out, you really don't want to spend time with your helpmate or with you know the person that you love. Trust me, it'll get there. But Genesis three. <clears throat> somebody look inside the uh, top of your chapter and tell me what kind of title that you have. The Fall of of who? The Fall of Man. Very good point. Keep that in mind. All right, we're going to read all the way through and then we'll come back through it. Starting in verse... uh... uh, Real quick, show of hands, who knows the story of Adam and Eve? (laughs) Okay, for the most part. Very good. All right. Verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called a man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Very good thing to underline, pay attention to. It. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. It's always a good response, guys. (laughs) She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Now, I shared a little bit of this last night. We had um, a meeting at our house that incorporates singles and newly married couples. But I begin to explain, like with a um, a tall, high-rise building, wouldn't you imagine that the foundation of that building has to be fairly substantial to support the weight and the infrastructure? Next time you may go downtown or in a high-rise, just on the first floor, look around you. A lot of times they do good jobs of this, but they expose some of the supporting columns. And a lot of these columns on the first floor, like a 26-story high-rise, it's not hollow on the inside. It's solid for the most part, and it has other infrastructure running inside of it. But when you're standing there, think of what you see around you times 26, and the weight of that being supported above mm-hmm. you. Now, one small shift, one small crack in the foundation in that first floor, in that first element, and what begins to happen. <coughs> the whole building, the entire infrastructure becomes a <coughs> Having a proper view of what God laid down first, and understanding it minus uh, imperfections or misunderstandings is paramount to how you end up with certain views in the New Testament. One thing I, I really despise, and I, I don't really know really how to change this, but I don't, do not like the term Old Testament and New Testament. When you think of old bread and new bread, which one would you eat,
1: <laughs>
0: right? What Now, how would you view the Older Testament if I called it First Testament and Second Testament? Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: See, in a totally different light, right? What we always say is that the Old Testament or the First Testament lies inside the New Testament revealed. And the New Testament lies within the Older Testament concealed. That everything you see, Paul and a lot of the writers of the epistles and other books in the New York Testament are expounding on what was already there. Let's draw back a little bit to Genesis three. Genesis three we have man, right? He's created on what day? Y'all can talk to me a Sunday morning. There we go, sixth days. Okay. What began what prompted him to want a wife? Does anybody know? The animals. He was given the function and purpose to subdue the earth. And when he began to name the animals, so like Bijan, fish, those kind of things, when he began to name the animals, I say Bijan because I have one, he named them by their function, what they are supposed to do. But he began to notice something, male and female, male and female, that these were partnered together to accomplish a certain task, which is to fill the earth. Well, guess what? Adam was a smart man. He began to look in the mirror. And this Adam now his head, yes. He begins to look in the mirror and realize that he does not have an accompanying partner. And so what did God do? God took from his side, we say rib, here in Texas, that's totally applicable with barbecue sauce.
1: But God took from his
0: side, from the element of who Adam was, and created or formed, A helpmate. Now, uh, if you go to chapter 3, but go back into chapter 2 a little bit before this. uh, Let's say in verse 20, halfway through. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Labs are great, but they're not the same as my wife. So the (laughs) the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Probably after Thanksgiving dinner. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, or from his side, and closed up a place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his side, or from the rib, he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So who formed her? God did. Who brought her to Adam? God did. This is all God's original design. This is now bone. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Y'all notice he is operating in his function and design right now. He just got through naming all the animals according to what they did or will do. And then he looks at her and calls her woman. Anybody have a, a footnote? It says the Hebrew for woman sounds like the Hebrew for man. It's probably something very similar to of man. For she was taken out of man. There's your explanation right there. For this reason, what reason? For she was taken out of man. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's ever an understanding of what marriage and relationships are supposed to be is that it's two becoming one. Now, if I took two pieces of wood and I needed to join them to make this pulpit, what kind of actions would need to happen? Some shaving, some cutting, some sanding, some forming to make the two pieces become one. When you become married, for those of you who are single and are looking to get married, marriage is a wonderful thing. uh, For seven years, from the age of 16 till 22, as a born-again Man of God, in love with Jesus, this is something i prayed for at least four to five times a day. Lord God, send me a wife. Lord God, send me a wife. And, and it was because I began to experience things in life that were fun and enjoyable. I, but I began, just like Adam, I began to look around and see that there was this place in my side that was missing. Something and someone I want to experience all these wonderful things with. I begin to find myself going you know, for work or within school. Let's say you go to Grand Canyon, you go to Hawaii or anything else. And it's a, it's a beautiful scenery. And it's a wonderful place to be and enjoy. And you're by yourself. That's not fun. It, it may be fun when you have four kids and you just want to get out of the house for an hour or so. But for a lifetime, that's not fun. You begin to feel that loneliness. There's an emptiness there that God purposely left so you would cry out for this. And I tell everyone, there, there, is, there are people who are called. And what I mean is, God purposed their function to be, for the majority, single. But for the most part, the call that Adam received and Eve received was to subdue the earth and multiply. That call still exists today in every single human being. So for the most part is that you're called to be married. You're set apart. You're designed to be married. So if you feel, if you're single and you feel that longing in your side or want to be joined to somebody, that's wonderful and that's awesome. That's holy. That is God. The only way that it will be fulfilled is that God has to form who your mate is and He has to bring her to you. You go and seek your own, you're going to find something that's death and it's poison. Amen? That's right. All right. The man and his wife weren't both naked. They felt no shame. Once again, what we just read in, in chapter three, when they did realize they were naked, what did they cover themselves with? A fig leaf. I have a fig tree growing in my backyard, grew up around them. They make wonderful leaves, big, beautiful leaves. And just so happens that they fit the human anatomy very well. Fig leaves or fig trees always represent of uh, fallen nature or sin in the Bible olive branches olive trees always represent life God's kingdom being extended it's a, a, a source of life that's out there so we have fig leaves a couple things I want to focus in though coming back to emotional pornography first of all in verse 1 of chapter 3 what animal was chosen why he was crafty. He had shifty, media eyes. He was a car salesman. <laughs> car salesmen can be godly. Abel is a fine example of that. <laughs> what I mean is, so, uh, an animal was chosen by the enemy that would not be easily recognized as an enemy. You could also you know, equate this to uh, a spy in a different country. He blended in... And began to speak to Eve, what? He, he began to somewhat quote God's word, but he just twisted it a little bit. If I came to you and said, the, the sky is brown, that's just a bold, bold-faced lie, or it's a it's not, no, nothing close to the truth. But if I came to you and mentioned a color that is similar to blue, but not exactly blue, it takes some discernment, Right? it's like wait a minute let me stop and begin to filter this and a friend, you ladies would get this absolutely you go to Home Depot right and this is our wall in our kitchen we're looking to paint it what's one of the first things you ladies do? you pick a color get some swatches right and you hold it up to it you begin to have a standard to measure by well God spoke to Eve and that spoken word was her standard but you notice that she she forgot to do something Let's let's read back through this again. Mm, Actually, verse 2, chapter 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. you all see something a little bit different? What was it? (laughs) Twist his word. Bottom line is that she did not remember exactly what God said. Now, she knew portions of what he said, but not exactly. What it allows is that, number four, Satan capitalized on it. He said, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Is that true? Yeah, it happened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is is he really lying yet? Hmm, he's twisting truth. That is lie. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gain wisdom, she took some and ate it. What Satan did to to a woman, the person designed to be Adam's helpmate and by his side to fulfill his call, is that he began to twist the truth (coughs) and attached a value to something God said, do not partake of. Did it have value? Yes, it did. It was more or less in Satan's intent to get her to partake of it. So, for instance, if you're single and you begin to have a relationship with a man, you know that it's wrong to to have intercourse with him. But what begins to happen? Words that are like the truth but are not the truth begin to come into your ears. And you begin to imagine... He really does love me. Well, that's what really God was looking for. And now God's really into the two becoming one. In that's how he made Adam and Eve. And you begin to compromise. Let the guard of your heart down. And you've played this scenario again and again in your mind about, if I receive this emotional attachment from him, I will get what I need. In order to get that, I will need to give of my physical nature. Now... The thing that, another thing we studied last night was, obviously men and women are, are different, but in this manner. Is that woman was made from man. That means that everything that exists within a woman, exists within a man as well. The difference is their function. I'm designed to be the head of my household. I'm designed to, to rush into warfare. I'm designed to step in front of my wife if an angry dog is attacking, what would it be if I stepped behind her?
1: <laughs>
0: because the way that we are designed is to rush into combat. The flaw begins when I begin to avoid conflict in order to protect my family. The, the weaknesses are when I begin to compromise and let my wife make the majority of decisions in my household rather than me. Now, there are things that I delegate to my wife, and that is absolutely wonderful. She is my helpmate. But when I become lazy in leadership, it leaves a vacuum in the home. And meaning that leadership needs to take place. My personality is to sit back and relax and just chill and let things go. But what God has designed by giving me the the wife that I have is that there there is a need for leadership and decisions to be made. And the difference is, is that what I found that when I make the decisions for my house, they may not be right in and of themselves or maybe forecasting looking forward, but my decisions are blessed. Whenever I followed my wife's decisions, I realized not that they were wrong, they just weren't blessed. God's favor was not on them. Adam says that uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. When we read further down, God addresses who first? He addresses Adam. Then he addresses who? Woman. Well, when he begins to pronounce curses, he starts with the serpent and works his way back to the head of the household. Well, Whenever uh, households are out of order, you first look to the man. He does what he needs to do by submitting to God and getting himself in order, then asking his wife to get in order and everything else will follow from that flow down. Authority flows from the top coming down. We have no problem looking at a president and vice president and saying this one is responsible, but so is this one. They just have different functions. This one carries more responsibility and authority, and this one is to aid and support that. That's that's very easy for us to see in a presidential realm. But now apply that to a marriage. Ah, you feel that little thing twist in your heart, right? I think that's wrong. Maybe Is it wrong? I'm not sure. We're both 100%. Here's the major difference. When God designed Adam and Eve, They were both equal in value. I'm sorry, I'm not a hermaphrodite. I can't generate kids by myself. Also, I cannot (laughs) subdue the earth by myself. I need my wife by my side. When Adam was cutting trees, who was cutting trees with him? Eve. When Adam was shoveling dirt, who was shoveling dirt with him? His wife. Our wives are called to be by our side. Now, there are times when we go out with other men to go do adventurous stuff, and that is something born of God put inside of us. Likewise, what's inside of a woman is to be the damsel in distress, to have her husband, her Prince Charming, come and rescue her. If I run off for adventures for the majority of a week, that leaves a void in my household. If a woman becomes the damsel in distress four times a day through Facebook and text messaging, that will leave a huge void in the marriage as well. It puts strain. Our sinful nature exploits and taints what God has originally designed us to do. God originally designed men to advance through warfare. God originally designed women to be a helpmate and want to be by the side of their husband. But what the sinful nature does is that it begins to create fantasies about what that adventure may be, whether it be in physical nature for men or emotional nature for women. Let's read a little bit further on. Verse uh, 16, chapter 3. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. And all the moms in the house say, Yes. 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 With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, if I just stop right there, you, you know, even me reading this saying, man, that's a bum, right? You know, now women are, are made weak, and they got to be ruled over by their husband. There is a difference between a leader or a master and a dictator. A leader or a master prepares the way for all those following behind him. And those that are closest next to him, he seeks their advice, but he's not ruled by their advice. He invites their opinions. Husbands or husbands-to-be, be be sure that when you're preparing the way, you don't charge so hard ahead that you forget to invite the opinion or invite the, uh, the knowledge or wisdom from whom God put beside you. That will bring her value. Wives, be very careful. If you see your husband, what you think is leading astray, and what I mean by astray is not necessarily the method you think it would happen. If he's leading you outside of God's word, it's a totally different scenario. But taking a left turn to take this street to McDonald's rather than the next one, is kind of what I'm talking about. If you begin to want to step in front of him to redirect the path realize that's not the place that god put you that's not the responsibility where there's no responsibility there is no authority where there's no responsibility there is no authority now women do you want to be valued yes guys do you want to be respected yes see how that resonates in both genders The way that God designed us and actually what's happening right here as a result of sin and disobedience, God put a weakness. He put a weakness that would help maintain order because they could not do it on their own. What he created within a woman says your desire will be for your husband. Do you realize as a single man, there's only one way I read that verse? But after getting married, I realized that's not the way that I was... Supposed to understand that? <laughs> that desire was not a physical desire. That word desire means to reach back and long and look after. There was a woman, uh, don't know her name, she was Lot's wife. When they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, when it was being destroyed, that's exactly what she did. She looked back and longed after what she had, the sin that she was in. And the angel said, don't do this or you too will be destroyed. And she turned into a pillar of salt. She was destroyed. Because what happened is her heart was emotionally attached. I mean, we we go through hurricanes, right? We went through a hurricane. 50% of my luggage was pictures whenever we went to go evacuate from a hurricane. I'm I'm sitting there lugging 80-pound boxes into the the. uh, Uh, the van that we had, and I said, don't we need like food or clothes? No, we need our
1: pictures!
0: (laughs) A woman's heart is supposed to be attached to her home. But likewise, in a smaller way, with me and my list for worship, you've got to be willing to relinquish what your heart's been attached to. All this started, this whole thinking about emotional pornography, with I have four girls. And I began to... uh, you know, deal with certain issues uh, ministry-wise where young men were getting into things that they weren't supposed to on the Internet, and that being pornography. Culturally, we know that pornography is wrong. It it would be absolutely absurd and vile for someone on a metro bus or standing in line at a grocery store to open up a pornographic magazine and begin to read it. That's repulsive. And someone would say something in a heartbeat. We might get to the point where that's no longer existent, Actually, that happens in Japan as we speak. But no one would ever have a problem with a deep romance novel that begins to help the woman imagine what her life would be like that she has now with a man like the man inside that book. (coughs) But they both produce the exact same fruit. And this is something that, that has been working inside of me. So I, I looked inside at, at, at my four girls and I said, you know what, when they get 16 years old or, or so, they're not going to be tempted to surf pornographic sites. That's not their weakness. Now, men are made of emotions. You know, contrary to theory, most theory, men do have emotions. But what they're driven by and their primary weakness is, is of the physical. Now, inverse that and flip it around for women. Women are attracted to physical uh, uh, looks of a man. But what they're driven by is that emotional bond and connection. And in both cases, one is to give of what's lesser to them to get the greater. So a man will pretend to be emotionally attached to a woman to get the physical fulfillment, the physical fix. He's not really attached if he ain't put a ring on your finger. A woman will be willing to give of her physical body to get that emotional fix, even though she is not driven by that physical nature. And this took a long time for me to understand. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, really, you really crave that emotional bond that much? We have to go to Bed Bath & Beyond at least once a week, really, and look at curtains? Just so
1: bored.
0: As a little boy, I would go to Hobby Lobby or something like that, Michael's, and I remember the smell of those little cones. They weren't pine cones, but they had the holes all the way around. It was like a funnel. They had like a cinnamon old smell to it. And I would sit down. I was so bored. And Cassie says, I do this now. I to go shopping with her. I get tired. And I'll sit sit down on the little shelves and ledges they have at Hobby Lobby, and I would lay down all the way across and take a nap. When you were a
1: boy.
0: When I was a boy. (laughs) The only difference now is that those shelves can't hold me. (laughs) But what it means to my wife for me to go and become interested in what she's interested in makes and establishes that that emotional connection. Well, likewise, it was very hard for her to understand that what a man thinks about 24-7 and maybe after 30, it's a little bit less time than that, is something of the physical nature. Ladies, if you think that, uh, here's a prime example, a lady walks in, she's wearing a certain dress, all the ladies will turn and look, and immediately think of, wow, I wonder how that dress is hanging on her. That's a good color, it really matches her eyes and her shoes and stuff. (laughs) Trust me, that is not what a man is thinking. And what I mean is for us godly men, this is what we fight. This is what we drive off so that we can see a woman in the purest light. Now, let's flip that around. You have a beautiful woman walking down the street with a fairly uh, non-comparable guy. Well, you, you know, all guys wonder this. It's like, well, how did that you know, dude end up with that beautiful girl? It's because it's not about physical looks. When a man walks into the room, other guys kind of look up and be like, hey, what's happening, bro? It's just it, there's no emotional you know, draw or the need to establish that emotional connections. Guys can go at least 30 days minimum without talking, pick right back up and there is no big beef about it. You didn't call me, you didn't text me, I saw you on Facebook, I tried to chat with you but you denied me, you closed it. Right? Dudes have no problem with that whatsoever, When a woman sees a man walk into the room And she begins to think, wow, I like the way he carries himself. If I were to belong to him, this is how he would make me feel. Right? Well, the same way that men have to cast down thoughts of physical nature about women, women have to cast down thoughts about emotional attachment to men that don't belong to them. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I looked at my four girls and I said, what is it on the internet that I'm gonna to have to guard against? Net Nanny is a wonderful service. And what it does is it blocks certain sites that have pornographic content or content that you, you align up that, that don't fit. But the thing about emotional pornography is that it's just like that serpent, it's subtle. There's, a, there's nothing wrong with Facebook. As long as you keep it in the viewpoint that what I put on that board is equal to having a banner in front of my house. It's for the world to see. So ladies, if you're looking for that emotional fix and you vomit your feelings every four minutes on there, there's something wrong. you got a problem. If you occasionally go on there to have fellowship, to encourage, to post pictures of what's going on in your life and be a display of God's glory, that's perfectly fine. And trust me, hey man... Uh, the Facebook uh, addiction has hit me. I want to go. I'm, I'm a spire. I'm a snooper. I never put anything. I get on Facebook. I'm like, oh, what's that person doing? Oh, yeah. yeah OK. What's this person doing? Oh. But I never put anything. And it gets to the point where, literally, I'm sitting at work. I'm going, mm-hmm, I got about five minutes.
1: What's on Facebook? <laughs>
0: Companies have blocked it for a reason. And that's that's exactly why. Like what I said earlier, men are not absent of emotions. There, There is an emotional element inside of us that wants to connect. But the primary one is of the physical nature. Likewise in women. There is a physical desire within women for men. That's a necessity. But the primary attachment is of the emotional one. So really what I'm addressing here, it's not emotional pornography, bad, bad women, men you just got you know the bum end of the deal here. It's both parties have emotional pornography. Jesus said, it's, uh, it's, uh, when a man commits a sin, he commits it where first? In his heart. So guys, when you're walking down the street and you see a woman, don't let your mind linger on what she looks like. Don't imagine what's beneath the clothes. Because it's right then and there that you begin to have that emotional pornography, and what it gives birth to is the physical act of sin. If you meet another man and he smells good, he's charming, he's well spoken, looks you directly in the eye, and smiles, and smells like cinnamon cookies that just came out of the oven, I like food. Do not let your mind linger about what life would be in his arms. Or a man like him would be in his arms. Or if your man was like him. Do not make that comparison. What Eve should have done when she began to sense the subtleties and the little twist in the truth. It says her husband was with her. But there's no record of Adam talking with the serpent. In fact, who did he blame? He blamed his wife. It's just me. It's my understanding that he was in the near proximity. But he wasn't standing right next to her. What she should have done is went and got her husband and brought her to him. And brought him to her. And said, hey, what do you think about what this guy's saying? He probably would have ran by the time she got back with him. That's why the serpent went to her first. He picked the weakest point. Men, you probably know the word most in your household. You probably have a better grasp on it. You're able to sift through your emotions and not let your emotions make decisions for you, but rather rational thinking through the word. It's your responsibility, if you have a household or when you have a household, to be on alert and do not leave a vacuum of leadership in your home. She made that decision because, once again, he was probably near her, but wasn't paying attention to what was going on with her. This is called negligent sin just like with my kids if I begin to not hear them for a period of time I know something's going wrong a little flag goes off inside of me up Emmy got into the markers again and she's putting on makeup (laughs) likewise women invite this is this is part I don't see it as the curses that God put on women I see it as the protective blessings God put a weakness within women that would enable her to long for her husband. It's the very thing that Eve should have done is that she longed for his leadership. She longed for his covering and his aid. Now, let's move on to Adam. What kind of protective blessing did he receive? Somebody tell me. His work... <laughs> his work was going to be frustrating. His work was going to be frustrating. Adam, you ever worked on a car? No. No? Good answer. You guys know when we do projects, this building is one of them. We walk in with a grand plan. Man, it's going to take three days. We're going to build this thing out. Pow, pow! It only costs 50 bucks from Home Depot. The minute that we begin to put our hands to work, we find that it's frustrating. What's the byproduct? You guys remember from last night? The byproduct of this Protective blessing rather than a curse is that it causes men to cry out for help For for and long for their master So women you are not the only ones that are put in this position Men are too it just goes up the stream not down What the protective blessings force you to do with the woman and with the man is that it enables you to cry out and trust more in Jesus. Because Adam and Eve both took it upon themselves to know what was good and evil. So God put in position or put in place elements that would force them to depend on Him to know good from evil. You feel that absence sometimes of hearing God's voice? Two things you begin to do. One, self-evaluate. Make sure there's nothing that you have in your life that's obstructing your view or clogging your ears from what God is saying. Some will say, I just don't know how to hear from God. Well, first of all, turn off the TV out of eight hours each day. Turn off the radio. Put your face in the work. I don't don't know how to hear from God. I don't know what his voice sounds like. I'm sorry, there's 66 books of his voice sitting right in front of you. That's right. Use it. A simple verse can stand out. What, and one thing we covered last night, when Moses uh, went down from the mountain the first time, he saw Israel sin, he threw, threw down the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. He went back up, met with God, and God said something a little bit different. He said, chisel out. Chisel out these tablets. Prior to that, God gave them to him. They encompassed the exact same elements as the first one but God had him a little bit different. He frustrated his work, right? Jacob, after all of his trickster ways and manipulating to get his own will, God met, or an angel met with him, and he wrestled with God. In the end, what happened? God touched his hip. Just as a reminder, "Mm, I'll frustrate your work. Every time you, you gimp along, You're going to remember this meeting. And I changed your name from Trickster to Israel. So in the same way, the weaknesses that you have in your life are a blessing. They keep you reminded that you need Jesus. You need to long for what's the master that's above you. And it forces you to get his word. When do we pray the most? When we're in trouble. Right? Is that really a curse? No, it's a blessing. It's gotten to the point in my life now where instead of praying for, Lord, I'm just praying things go better in my life and you know I'm able to get this car and have this house and stuff. Man, my eyes are on the wrong thing. I'm praying, where's the next adversity, Lord? Where's the next suffering? Because Romans 5.1 says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. What is hope? Hope, described by the word, is an anchor for my soul. It's what sustains me. Anchors are meant for what? To stay in a boat whenever there's a flat and calm sea? No, it's to hold them in place when everything around them is raging and pushing and shoving them in a direction they don't need to go. So the reason that you have trials ends up through a series of processes to give you an anchor to sustain you within God's will. The times that men do the best, and this is men in the Bible and men of today, including myself, the times I do the best was when, is when I suffer the most. It removes me out of the picture. It, it disarms my ability to determine good from evil and puts it directly in his hands. Now, well, the thing about sin... And sin literally means missing the mark, as in a planter is planting a a farmer is planting a seed into a a a line on a a, in a farm, but he he misses the mark. Sin separates. It separates you from God. Now forever, I viewed this kind of in the wrong light when I read that Adam and Eve I knew Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. I said, well, sin did that, and in a global sense, sin did. But you look a little bit further. I think we read it in chapter 3. You know, it, it really doesn't do any good to tell you guys to go out and love your spouse, love your neighbor, if you aren't able to accurately discern the weaknesses that impede you from doing that. Genesis is the first book, right? Okay. Okay. If I go to... Verse 8, chapter 3. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. In their environment, had anything changed? No. Who changed? They They did. One key note right above that is... It says that Eve took of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to Adam, and he ate of it. Then both their eyes were open. So whether it be leadership into righteousness that God requires correct order and flow of authority, well, guess what? So does sin. Both of their eyes were not opened until Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. So further down, now both of them realize that they're naked. They're the ones that change. And immediately, inside the Garden of Eden, they separate themselves from God. They hide from Him. So what God did, He said, mm, I need to get these guys out of here. Not because, just because they sin, but they're in a sinful state. And if they eat of the tree of life, then they would make them eternal sinners. You tell me, what's the place called where eternal sinners reside? Hell. He did not want them to exist in hell. So he removed him, them from this blessed and lush and lavish place. And he put them outside the garden. They still had the same purpose of subdue the earth. The sails had the same call to multiply. That did not change but he made it a little more frustrating for them to accomplish. And he removed them from the ability to hurt themselves. So many times, me as a a kid, I didn't realize that the discipline my parents were giving me were for my own good. I could not see that. I saw it as mean, and they were just punishing me because I did something that they didn't want me to do. But yet, I still think it's right. But when we grow older, and I'm watching Emmy walk towards electrical socket with a pen in her hand, she's going to go, you know, play plug in the pin. Yeah. I remove her from that dangerous scenario, but there's another thing that I do. I pop the fire out of her hand. And the reason being is that it's a vaccination for something that's deadly. Mm-hmm. I'd rather sting her hand than watch her cook to death.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she will remember that sting. The possibility she would never remember being electrocuted. She would exist. That's the difference that we're dealing here with Adam and Eve. He did not want them to exist in a state of being eternally separated from Him. That's what hell is—eternal separation from God. But He protected them by removing them from blessings. Let me say it again: He protected them by removing them from blessings, and then, over a gradual period of time, He would restore that portion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Bible is a story of man. It's not the story of angels. It's not the story of demons. It's not the encyclopedia of the heavenlies. Ha- the heavenlies and angels and demons are included within mm-hmm. it. But the story of the Bible is of man. It's the beginning and eternal of man. So where a man first started in God's blessings, absent of the sinful nature, ruling and reigning with God, he couldn't do on his own. So God sent his own son to be like Adam, to be put in the same positions as Adam of being tempted, but yet he overcame. He was the word. He was the encyclopedia. And when challenged, he usurped what the devil tried to throw at him. And he overcame the fallen nature. He overcame eternal separation from God for every single one of us. We join in him as he is our head, then we get to participate in his eternal life, now and after we die. And the end result is exactly the same position that Adam first began in. It's an eternal state of ruling and reigning in God with blessings that surround us. A lot of times we look at what heaven's going to be like and uh, heaven on earth ruling and reigning with God. It'll be awesome. It'll be powerful. But you know what is really more applicable right now? Uh, It is that hope in what's to come. That's how I endure. But it's also, you get to walk in the life of God now. Right now. The very power that rose Jesus from the grave. And essentially, looking through that glass of the first Adam, and then the second Adam being Jesus, is that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is at work in us to rescue us from what was cursed and separated by Adam. God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of pruning, not cutting off. He will cut off what is absolutely dead and will not bear fruit. But what does bear fruit? He prunes. He trims back. When you have branches that's of a fruit tree and all it produces is leaves, you know, other than a cow or two, is that good for you? Is that what you're looking for, the intent of an orange tree? Is that, I'm going to get orange leaves? No, I want orange fruit. What God's looking for each and every one of you is to do what he has designed and called you to do. And if all you produce is something that looks religious but is never the true substance, he's going to prune you back some. And what that pruning back causes is a regrowth. A regrowth into something new. And You probably will remember, hmm, I need to bear fruit now. Because that last time it hurt. Let's go to Deuteronomy 10.
1: That
0: kind of in the same light. Israel was in Egypt. Initially uh, resided there through Joseph. Joseph brought his whole family. And they were there about four hundred (coughs) years. After that time period, God began to do something a little bit different. Wanted to call them out as a nation of his own. Right now, every single one of us that are sitting in here uh, have experienced God's presence at some point in our life, responded to it, and were called out of slavery. Were delivered from sin being our master. And brought into a place where God was... Our Master, He was our fi- he is our fire by day, I mean fire by night and cloud by day. He is our manna that hits the ground and feeds us on a daily basis. But you ever had that feeling when you're first born again, or meet somebody's first born again? I'm saved. Now what? Well, I spent the first three to four years of my life after being born again, trying to find my call. Jesus, am I an accountant for you? Am I a worship leader for you? Am I a construction worker for you? What am I? And I kept wanting to, wanting to get this physical identity that I could stamp on myself. And what began to happen is that I was in, you become emotionally involved or attached to uh, an image that God may have for you temporarily or never had it intended for you in the first place. But if ever you want to know, I'm saved, now what? or have gone through this season of of Jesus washing me and cleansing me and removing certain things out of my life, now what? Let's go in verse 12 of chapter 10. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. Why? For your own good. If you're struggling to find out what God has called you to, it is absolutely perfectly uh, acceptable to drop back to this. If whatever you're doing whatever God's put directly in front of you, I'm not talking about 10 years from now, directly in front of you, you do as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord is exactly this. Is that as you're going to work to be a construction worker, you fear the Lord. You walk in his ways. You love him and you serve him with all your heart. As a construction worker, as a barista at Starbucks, as an accountant at a certain firm. When you read that scripture in the New Testament, that's exactly what Paul is getting at. Do everything as unto the Lord. We speak in the Jewish people that knew this by heart. That's exactly what he was alluding to. These are the fundamentals, these are the foundational elements that describe how you follow Jesus. And if you come up short in any fashion in that regard, you will miss it. Now, a generation had to die in the desert before they could enter into Canaan because they missed this very point. What inside of you has to die? so that you can enter into what God has promised for your life. Or how many times more do you have to circle around the mountain until it dies off? Obedience is better than sacrifice. My, one of my girls, if they are quick to repent and ask what, or say what they did wrong, and come and ask for forgiveness, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it. And not just give it and say, OK, we're all back to normal. But hey, let me show you how to do better. Let me show you where you can excel and find value in my eyes. Because essentially, that's what, that's what my girls love, long for, and they crave for, is to be valued by their dad. Well, no different than us with Jesus, the reason that we want to search that one identity as a call is because we're reaching for a value that we're thinking that God has giving us. He's already given you value by rescuing you, by delivering you from Egypt. By giving you his word, his fire by night, his cloud by day, his manna that sits on the ground every single morning for you. You know the very fact that you wake up and breathe every single morning is manna, (coughs) it's a life. We usually realize that when we come very, very close to death. And that's me included. But realize, I mean, I get so carpe diemish. But yeah, live every day to the fullest in the Lord. That's the part that we're missing in Latin. Live every day to the fullest. And be aware, guard your hearts, ladies. Guys, guard your eyes. I think somebody was telling me recently about a, a three-second rule when it came to guarding your eyes. You know, if a guy is walking down the mall and he sees a, a girl, uh, you know, if you're not turning your head within three seconds, if you know, you're getting in danger. Some this one guy said, no, it's it's a zero-second rule. I don't know. You know. Let it be as if you just hit a a rubber stop sign. Boing. Right off. Because, guys, you know that your eyes, uh, that's where you're weakest. So guess what? Don't put anything in front of them that would lead you the wrong way. Ladies, your heart, same way. Zero second rule. Don't let it reside. Let it bounce right off your heart and get away. Now, us guys, we turn our neck. So I don't know if y'all can really take your heart and turn it, but... (laughs) set your mind on something else. Distract yourself from that emotional attachment that wants to happen. Beautiful thing that uh, it was funny, early in uh, Cass and I's marriage, I would, I would get off of work and come home, and Cass is in front of the TV, and, she, and she's frazzled. She says, I was, I was watching Dateline, and uh, I just know I got this one extremely uh, rare disease.
1: <laughs>
0: or this one person in Massachusetts, you know, this guy broke into her home, stole everything she had, and killed her. I just know that's about to happen to me. <laughs> and and that's when I learned as a husband, I know I kept at first at first I was going, what what? Oh, that's not gonna happen to us. And it was more of a logical debate. You no. Know, well, yeah, you know, we leave our doors unlocked at night and, you know, we don't leave lights on in the front yard. That's just inviting someone to come and do the same thing that happened in Massachusetts. That's all in Daytona. And granted, there is some, there's some knowledge to that. Uh, but I began to realize, like, wait a minute. Every time she watched this show, we come back around to the same element of being scared about something. Quit watching the show. <laughs> so she put it on 700 Club they has been doing great ever since. <laughs> Uh, You know, this this whole thing about emotional pornography is going to grow. It's going to grow inside of me, and as I learn how to more or less put it to use with my girls, uh, there's going to be different elements that are added to it. I already see now in uh, my older two, Natalie and Sid, that they go to school, and Natalie's first day of kindergarten, she's walking back to uh, the car pickup line, she's holding hands with another boy. Oh, great. Here we go. And you know, they had their little you know, affections within class and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And as a father, I'm overlooking and I'm just, I'm constantly watching of how far is their heart going? How far is their heart going? Are they getting so wrapped up in this fantasy, this false image of what love really is, that they're willing to act totally retarded about it? No different than I would with a boy. That, and am watching his eyes, is he's always looking at what he thinks about holy to the point where when he gets around another girl, he just acts totally retarded. Same difference. Let's all stand on our feet. So in saying all that, husbands, boyfriends, it's okay. You can love the person that God gave you. Uh, ladies, it's okay to want to be emotionally connected with your, your husbands. Just make sure that you're able to separate the sinful nature uh, ability to ruin what that is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Join some hands. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> I don't know. Well, come on. Are you gonna be able to put this to use? Yes. Uh I'll probably have to teach it again just to remind myself of what I said. I'll actually listen to the message again. So, mighty Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for love. For you are love. You're the purest form and fashion of it. And mighty God, we thank you for displaying your love to us by rescuing us, the damsel in distress that was separated from you. And we thank you for making a way for us to be eternally connected to who you are. Jesus, help us put these words into practice and to be able to discern the subtleties that Satan puts in front of us. And in so... We're able to carry out your commands to their fullest and love you with all of our heart. We love you, Jesus, and we bless your name. Amen. Amen.